God, You are an incredible God. I thank You for the opportunity this morning to gather with Your people. Um, People who, even though they live uh, many miles away from my home, are gathered together to worship the same God. The God who uh, came... um, in Christ to live among us, to uh, to understand, to be an understanding high priest, to dwell among us, to suffer among us, to be tempted as we are, so that uh, he could be that understanding high priest. And so we're thankful for opportunity this morning to gather together, uh, to lift up your name to give you the praise that you deserve because you are great beyond comprehension. So God, as we get into your word, I ask that you would cause it to get into us, that we would leave here changed. Changed because we have heard from you and in your word and by your spirit, you have transformed us that we, we will leave different than when we came in. So we commit this time to you We ask for your blessing. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. It's great to be back here at First Colony. And it feels feels like uh, I'm at the home field. So it's, uh, it's a joy to be back here with you all. So last night... I had dinner at one of those Brazilian steakhouses where it's all you can eat type thing. Anyone, anyone ever, anyone ever suffered through one of those? Well, yeah. The this this morning, my hope was that uh, I could still button my pants and wouldn't uh, suffer any wardrobe malfunctions as a result of uh, the all you can eat uh, steakhouse experience last night and. And, and so you don't have to worry. Everything, everything still was able to be buttoned up, and that's good. But then uh, last night, after we were leaving, I had a little bit of drive to do. And uh, my other hope was is that I wouldn't, uh, the food coma wouldn't hit before I got home. I could safely, safely make it all the way home before passing out. And uh, we made it, so I'm thankful for, for God's uh, help in making through that and so we're here and have enjoyed, like I said, already a good meal and nothing like good Texas hospitality. And uh, I, what, are you, what are you hoping for? Hopefully something more than just no order about functions or being able to stay awake. What are, what are some things that you're hoping for right now? Uh, maybe you're hoping for uh, your candidate to get elected you know, next Tuesday. Or maybe you are... Maybe you're hoping for um, a clean bill of health. Uh, or maybe you're hoping for uh, a job offer. What is, it, what is it that you're hoping for right now? In the midst of those uh, times when uh, disappointment can seem like it's uh, piling on, that it's building, um, how, do you, how do you continue to hope? How do you restore hope in those times of disappointment or frustration or maybe even doubt. Um, I think uh, David had been there before. 
in the passage we're going to look at this morning, um, David had, had obviously been through times of disappointment and doubt. And the, the passage, Psalm 13, it, um, it's vague. We don't know the circumstances behind David's, you know, what was the occasion behind him penning this psalm, Psalm 13. It, it's not specific. And I don't know exactly what that, uh, what the occasion was, but I think maybe, maybe David left it vague so that it would, that it would be um, pertinent, relevant, uh, seem relevant to all the circumstances of life that bring up times of disappointment, times that things aren't working out like the way that we had hoped they would. Um, I think he had been there before. So what do you do when you become disappointed with God? I want to ask and answer three questions this morning as we get into Psalm 23, uh, Psalm 13. And the first question is, who, who gets disappointed with God? And, and the, the second question I want to ask and answer is, is, what do you ask for when you find yourself disappointed with God? And the last question is, what, what action do you take uh, when you find yourself disappointed with God? Um, and, and you might, I don't know if we're having trouble with the, with the my, there we go, I'm coming, still coming in, okay, good. I don't know for sure if we're having an audio problem, it says low battery, but, so if we lose you, just give me a sign back there, okay, it's a sound, sound booth, um, so, but uh, evidently David had been there before, and I want to ask and answer those three questions. Uh, who gets disappointed with God? What do we ask for? And what action do we take? So let's start off by reading the text, all of Psalm 13 together. Follow along with me silently as I read it out loud. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. What you're going to see in, in even just the first two verses is that even God's people get disappointed with God. Look at verses 1 and 2. David says, How long, O Lord? And he repeats that same phrase four times in these first two verses. How long, how long? It's like, God, you've missed your appointment. <laughs> you haven't lived up to my expectations. I'm frustrated. Maybe even, you might say, doubting. What, what's, at the, what's at the base of this? He says, how long, O Lord? Now, the word Lord there, the name that David chooses to invoke for, for God at this point, that's the reason it's in all caps is it's, the Hebrew name is Yahweh. Sometimes it's translated Jehovah. It's the name, it's the covenant name that God has for himself. It, it refers to the fact that he's the covenant God who not only makes covenant, but he keeps covenant with his people. 
And appropriately, what David does is he invokes that name because when you're thinking about God not living up to your expectations, it's like, hey, we have a relationship. And as a result of having this relationship, I'm expecting you to perform in a certain way. And you're not living up to my expectations. How long, O oh Lord? What's he, what's he disappointed about? Will you forget me forever? He's, he's saying that he's maybe even doubting God knowing of him. Now, I don't think David, for, for this, for David, it wasn't necessarily an intellectual erosion. David was aware, he knew that God uh, was aware of him, that God knew of him. You go to Psalm 139, he, he said, God knows my thoughts from afar. So that it wasn't, if you ask David and you said, hey, David, do you really think God knows uh, what you're thinking right now? He would say, yeah, yes. See, the problem wasn't an intellectual erosion. The problem was an emotional erosion. Look what he says in the next verse. How long will you hide your face from me? He's, he's doubting God's omnipresence. The same thing in Psalm 139, you know, he knew that God was with him. Even from his mother's womb, he knew that God was with him. It wasn't, it, it, again, it wasn't the idea of like David was unaware of God's presence in his life. If he said, if someone came to David and said, David, do you think God's with you? He would have said, yes, I know God's with me, but I don't feel like God's with me right now. In times of disappointment, it's not a matter of the facts. It's a matter of the feelings. That's where David was struggling. Uh, you know, this... Uh, what, and and what, is, what was the issue for David? The issue for David is that, um, that God wasn't living up to his expectations of him. He wasn't, he wasn't performing the way that he expected. I had a friend in college... One summer, I went on a summer summer mission trip, and we were sitting in our room, and and I was lamenting the fact that this girl that I was uh, that I was hoping to continue to communicating with throughout the summer um, that she had uh, disappointed me by not communicating back with me, and and so he gets out a piece of paper and and he he writes on the piece of paper. Um, first he starts off and he says, Rick, these were your expectations. And at the top of the paper, he puts expectations. And then at the bottom of the piece of paper, he goes, but here is reality down here at the bottom of the piece of paper. And so I'm staring at the piece of paper and he goes, and he goes, and this, and he draws this, draws this bracket between, between my expectations and reality. And he writes, this is the zone of disappointment. Yeah, I, I was disappointed. Things weren't turning out like the way that I had expected, the way that I had hoped, and reality left me frustrated, disappointed, sad. Um, I, I think there's, there's times when um, you and I find ourselves disappointed with God. And, and, and in the midst of this, sometimes we might think, well, you know, should I, you know, is this something that is good? Is this something that um, is evil? I, I don't know if I can even express this. 
Look at Exodus chapter 16, verse 28. You, you realize that you're not the only one who's ever felt disappointment. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 28, you realize that even God feels disappointment. Exodus chapter 16, verse 28, right before this, some of the children of Israel had been gathering manna on the Sabbath when they weren't supposed to be gathering manna on the Sabbath. It says, it says Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? I mean, God knew how long they were going to continue to disobey Him. It wasn't, again, even for God, it wasn't the idea that He didn't know something. The issue for God is He was frustrated. He was expressing His emotions. God, as, as we learned and we saw, even Jesus you know, took on flesh and He took on the emotions with it. And we saw some of those emotions even this morning in the passages we saw as, I, as we... Uh, broke bread together and we read those passages like it was like God's spirit. I was like, wow, this is just where I was going with Psalm 13. We have an understanding high priest. He's been here. Just like we might feel in the midst of our times of disappointment. Now, as I said, in, in the midst of those times, to understand that the emotions that you're feeling, they're not... That's not the core problem. My uh, son Nolan, uh, this past week before before we left and came here, he had a uh, check engine light, service engine soon light came on his dashboard. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. You might have such new cars. That's not an issue for you. Um, but uh, I, I, maybe no one else has ever saw that check engine light before. But he's had the service engine soon light that came on and, and uh, we decided we would go to the we decided we would go to the auto parts store where you can they'll plug it into a scanner and tell you what the problem is. So you, you go to the auto parts store and they plug it in and you, they run it through the computer and it tells you what some of the codes are so you can begin to, to really diagnose accurately what the problem is. You see, the, the, the service engine soon light, that's not, that's not your problem. It's just an indicator of the problem. Your emotions that you're feeling in those times of disappointment, that's not the problem. They're just your check engine light saying there is another problem. We have a problem, Houston. What is it? And, and when you're feeling those, those emotions and that disappointment, it should drive us to a place to go, I need a solution. I need to figure out what the problem is. And, and so, in, in the midst of those times when you're feeling that, uh, what do you do? Well, you, you, turn, you turn to the Lord, and we'll, we'll see that in just a second. So, in the answer to that first question, um, who, who experiences that disappointment? Even, even Christ followers experience disappointment with God. Okay? Even, even God's people experience that disappointment. Even those feelings of doubt. The, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, once said, only the suffering God can help. 
because he understands. He's been there before. So, so what, do we, what do we ask for in those times of disappointment? When God isn't living up to our expectations, when he isn't doing what we expect him to do. Look at verse, look at verse 3. says, look on me and answer, O Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. David asked three things of, of God. The first two requests are pretty normal. Look on me. It's, when, when you find yourself, when you're talking to someone, you don't feel like they're really, they're really paying attention to you, you might say, hey, look at me when I'm talking to you. Right? You're not giving me your full body attention. Look at me. Or the next request, answer. I'm talking to you, God. Hear me and answer my question. Look on me and answer. His, the basis for him asking that question, he says, Oh, Lord, my God. Again, he invokes the covenant name of God, Yahweh, reminding God, you've promised to be with me. David, David himself had a covenant with God, but also as the part of the child of Abraham, a descendant of Abraham, he had also involved as part of the covenant people. And he's like, hey, oh Lord, covenant making, covenant keeping. And he says, my God. There's this reminder. You're not just their God or their God. You're my God. I have a relationship with you and that obligates you to respond to me accordingly. Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. But the last, the last ask in, in verse 3 uh, has stuck with me. It says, give light to my eyes. Give light to my eyes. What does that mean? You know, typically, when you look in the Scriptures, there's, there's one, one meaning for a word. It's, it's fairly normal. But that word... The, the verb that's translated give light, um, it's loaded. It, there are multiple meanings, and you go back in Old Testament history, and you, there, there's three that I want to highlight. The first one is in creation. And it goes all the way back to the creation account. Let there be light. And, and it's a reminder, I think, when, when David if, and prays this, asks this request, give light to my eyes, I think it's, it harkens back to creation. When God is the one who said, let there be light. Because at that point, when he, he, he speaks light into existence, there's light that now, regardless of, regardless of the time of day, there's light that reveals who God is. There's light that reveals what God is capable of. And in moments when you are disappointed with God, one of the things that you and I need is is reminder that that God is there and that He is revealing His will to us. One of the things I have a Friday morning men's Bible study. We meet at six a.m. 
And uh, one of the things that I enjoy sometimes is it's still dark, and as I'm driving to the church, uh, the, the stars are out, or the, or the moon is still out, and even in the midst of the darkness, I'm like, God, you're there. Your mercy is new every morning. In those times when you feel like God isn't living up to your expectations, I think it's it's important for us to to know that that we can ask God to reveal Himself to us in ways that He never has before, and that He would continue to reveal Himself to us, and that His mercy would be new every morning. The, the second the second instance of this this idea of give light to my eyes and what to ask for is in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, this, there was this flame that, that led the children of Israel by night. And it gave light to them. And this verb is used there as well. And, and that light, that, the flame that, that guided them at night and that protected them from their enemies, the Egyptians, was, was a reminder to David, I need your protection right now. I need, I need your guidance. I need to know, even in the midst of this time that is exceedingly dark, what is the next step to take? Guide me. Direct me. Protect me. Give light to my eyes. The, the third use of this is, is Jonathan. And Jonathan has been fighting with the children of Israel. He has been fighting alongside his brothers, the Israelites, and He's been fighting all day, and Saul had made that very rash, that very rash command to his soldiers, saying, "You know, no one's supposed to eat until we're we're done with this battle." And Jonathan just gets a little taste of the honey, and what happens? It says that it gave light to his eyes. It gave him hope. It, it gave him. It renewed. It renewed his sense of hope. Like we're going to get through this, and it gave him strength to keep on fighting. The energy that he needed to keep going. And I think David, who was well aware of his friend Jonathan, as he pens this psalm, says, I need hope. I need hope right now. This is going to turn out okay. Give light to my eyes. Give me revelation of what you will in this. Guide me and protect me and make my steps really sure. And give me hope that even, even in the midst of the darkness, this is going to turn out, this is going to turn out okay. Give light to my eyes. When you find yourself disappointed with God, ask God to give you light to your eyes. David's reasoning for that follows in the end of verse 3 and in verse 4. He says, Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. I don't know whether David, at this point, whether David actually thought he was going to die. You know, like, if you don't rescue me, God, I'm, I'm going down. But that's what he's saying. And that's how we felt. Um, you know, if, if, if you don't intervene in this situation, rescue me, my enemies are going to take me out. And, and I think what David was most concerned about 
I think what he was most concerned about was God's reputation. Just like when he was fighting Goliath. I think David is very concerned about God's reputation. He says, look, if, 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 you, don't, if you don't intervene now, if you don't defeat this enemy, if you don't rescue me, then my enemy will say, I won and I took out your child. My foes will rejoice when I fall. You see, David understood that because he had a relationship with God, his reputation was intimately connected to God. And God's reputation was intimately connected to his kids. And he says, God, it's, he's, he's motivating God through this prayer. Rescue me for the sake of your name. Otherwise, you're going down with me. And so when you find yourself disappointed with, with God, I, I think it's appropriate to say, give light to my eyes for the sake of your name, O oh God, for the sake of your reputation. One of the most disappointing and frustrating parts of, of my ministry is dealing with conflict. I'm a fairly conflict-averse person. I don't really enjoy that. And, um, and so there's times that not only maybe someone else is involved in a conflict and I'm trying to coach them through that, but there's sometimes, honestly, that I'm involved in conflict. The reality is we're, we're sinners, and so there's conflict. Right? And... One of the things that I have found myself praying in, in the past is, God, give, give light to my eyes for the sake of your reputation. What do I say next? What do I do next? You need to intervene now and guide us through the situation because people outside the church right now are looking on to the situation and they're seeing what's going on. And if you don't bring about peace, then your name is going down with us. That's what's on the line, God. And we need your help. Would you, would you bring about conviction? Would you convict my heart? Would you bring about humility? Would you bring about forgiveness and reconciliation? And God, if you don't give, us, give light to our eyes and even let us know that there's hope at the end of this, we're going down and you're going down with us. People in this community are, are not, are not going to want to worship you if they don't see that there's something different about us the way that we work through this conflict. In the midst of those times of disappointment, ask God to give light to your eyes for the sake of His name. Well, that's the ask. What's the action? What, what do you do? What do you do when you find yourself disappointed with God? Look at verses 5 and 6. David says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. I, I love, the, I love the, the transformation that's taken place just in the span of these six verses. David starts off and he's, he's obviously disappointed four times. How long, how long, how long, how long? And at the end of the psalm, what's he saying? He's singing. 
He's rejoicing. He's thanking God. What happened? And you see that transition in verse 5, right at the beginning. But, a very small word, but it's huge because it signals there was a transition. And when you look at Psalms, there are, there are open laments. And an open lament means that, that at, the end of the, at the end of the psalm, it, there's no closure. Like the, the psalmist is still disoriented. There's still problems. And in this case, it would be that he was still he was still disappointed and doubting God. But in this case, it's a closed lament. That means there's resolution. It says, but but in contrast to the way that I was, and the way that I was feeling, I trust you. I, Another synonym of trust, I hope. But I hope in your unfailing love. The unfailing love, the Hebrew word is hesed. It's, it's God's loyal love. It's God's ab- above and beyond love. But I trust in your hesed. I, I think, again, I, I don't think... David, it was just a, it was just a matter of David kind of like pulling himself up and saying, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna decide to I'm gonna decide to feel that God loves me. I, I think that David instead did something. He did something that that God used to move him. And to move his emotions to a place where he had restored hope. But what did David do? What action did he take? He says, my heart rejoices in your salvation. Again in verse 6, I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. See, David chose to praise and thank God. He chose to praise and thank God for his past victories, for his past deliverances. For example, for David, it was those times like when he's standing before Saul and he says, God enabled me to defeat the lion and the bear. And and then now, in in hindsight, as David looks back, he recalls not only the lion and the bear, but the ten-foot giant and the deranged king who hunted them like an animal. I, I think... It's a, it's a time for us when you find yourself disappointed with God that you would slow down and let that be a, a trigger, an alarm, the service engine soon, emotional alarm that says, okay, what do I need to do that you would say, I need to praise the Lord. And, and as you praise the Lord, as you thank the Lord for his past deliverances, you will find your emotions begin to change, to begin to be conformed to God and his will. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with going there. Don't forget about Jesus. We stopped just a few verses short when in the, while we were taking the Lord's Supper. In Matthew chapter 27, was Jesus hung on the cross, what did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, you have an understanding high priest who's been there before. 
Now, in his case, God had forsaken him because he was bearing the sin of all humanity on the cross, your sin and my sin. And for those moments, he was separated from the Father and he felt what that separation was like. And so he is an understanding high priest. And so when you find yourself feeling forsaken, that God is distant, that he's not hearing you, Jesus says, I've been there before. I know what that feels like. And that's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, only a suffering God can help. And I think it's important for us to replay God's past victories and deliverances in our life. For example, when, when you find yourself, does, does God really love me? Is he really, is he really helping me in my, in my bareness? Is he here for me? I don't understand why month after month after month the test comes up negative. Replay Romans 8. Who can separate you from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to abandon us. He's still there for us. One of the things that I've done in the past and times when I'm disappointed, when things aren't working out like I expected and God's not living up to my expectations, is I literally will get out a piece of paper, write 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and just start writing things that you are thankful for. And if you're saying, you know, what have you done for me lately? And you're not, you're not coming up with things very readily. Just keep thinking for a little while. All right. But even if you have to start off with things that you know that are true from Scripture. But you're having a hard time. Like, I know that you love me and nothing can separate me from your love. I know that you sent your son Jesus to die for me. I know that your word is true. And just start with those just basic theological truths. I know that your spirit is here, is, is with me right now. And as you begin to recount the things that God has done for you, it will, be, it will come easier and easier. And what you will find is that he will begin to transform not only your thinking, but he will transform your emotions as well. And you will find yourself like David. Singing a new song. Yes, even God's children get disappointed with God. And in those times when you find yourself disappointed, ask God to give light to your eyes for the sake of his name. And praise him. Praise him for his deliverance of you in the past. And he'll restore your hope. Years, years ago, over a decade ago, my, my sister Julie, um, she um, has a daughter, a daughter named Abby. And Abby was born with spina bifida. Many of you know Abby. And 
Abby needed surgery. She was still still a baby. She needed surgery badly. And uh, she's had many surgeries. And she's uh, over 15 now. Okay, I don't, I'm not sure the exact age, but she's over 15 now, almost 16. And um, she, she needed surgery, and it was about the same time of year. And the surgery was supposed to happen right before Thanksgiving. And the doctor called and postponed not only the surgery, but postponed even meeting with, with Julie. And postponed the meeting in, until after Thanksgiving. So not only was the surgery going to be postponed, but n- now they weren't even going to be talking about the surgery until after Thanksgiving. And, and who knows how long it would be before it would actually get a surgery date that she desperately needed. I was talking with Julie and just talking about the, the frustration associated with that. And Julie said this, and it stuck with me. God has been so faithful and good to make things happen, to protect Abby in the past. Why stop trusting him now? I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Let's pray. Lord, um, in um, moments, and not just moments, but in seasons of, of disappointment, um, would you remind us of your goodness and your unfailing love? Would you remind us of your word and your deliverance of your people in the past? your deliverance in our own lives, your salvation. You have been so good to us. Transform our thinking. Transform even our emotions. May we be a testimony for the sake of your name. Not necessarily of that everything in our lives turns out perfect. That everything turns out the way that we want or expect. But, but God, may we be a testimony of your goodness and and the hope that that is only possible for someone who is rightly related to you. God, we find our hope in you and you alone. Our world, so many reasons to be distressed about our world right now. And you are the one that we can genuinely hope in, and I pray that we will find our hope in you. It's in your name that we pray and give thanks. Amen.